Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Monday, February 25th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we're going to explore Armando Salguero's list of players that he deems in Miami's plans for the future. My three football strategies that Brian Flores needs to bring from Foxborough down to Miami. And we'll start a new series, the prospect of the day. Plus, Brian Peacock of Locked On 49ers joins us to discuss trade possibilities come draft day. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts from. Go ahead and leave me a five-star rating. Leave me a review. Tell us how much you love the show. That helps us tremendously. Also, follow me on Twitter, at WingfieldNFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com. The football strategy piece is up on there right now, live for you guys to dive into. And last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts, like the Locked On 49ers podcast for all the local coverage of every single one of your favorite teams in all of sports. We have a busy, busy Sunday slash Monday show for you guys. Let's jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. And on Thursday evening, just as I was putting the finishing touches on Friday's podcast, I was tagged in a tweet referring to the likelihood of Kiko Alonso returning to the Miami Dolphins in 2019. It referred to a message from Armando Salguero of the Miami Herald, and in that Instagram story or whatever it is. I'm not an IG guy. Armando said that Alonzo's 125 tackles were 10th best in the National Football League and that Armando himself is glad that the Dolphins want to try to bring him back. Before we unpack what that means for Miami first, let's just discuss this. Judging a linebacker on tackles or even takeaways for that matter is a terrible way to evaluate the player. Do not be a box score scout. That is a mere fraction of of the job. A a tiny amount of what they're supposed to be doing is racking up tackles because if he gets beaten coverage and makes a tackle 12 yards downfield, fantastic, man. You just gave up a first down. So who cares about tackles? Yeah, it's good to get the guy to the ground, but please, please don't tell me about a guy's tackles as proof that he's a good player. And as for his list, Salguero says that this list of players falls under two categories. A, they are in Miami's long-term plans for the future, or B, quote-unquote, if the contracts can be sorted out, these players will be back. So let's separate the two and talk about the grave mistake it would be to bring Kiko Alonso back in 2019. And let's start there with Alonso because he's on this list and clearly in category B. But a few of you might wonder why I'm so adamant that Miami must move on from Alonso. I mean, aside from the fact that his last two seasons were awful, and please, again, do not point to the tackles and takeaways. It's a fraction of what his entire job details. I do love the way he hustles to the football. I like that he has that knack for getting his hands on the ball once he's there. Those are good traits. Those are valuable to a certain extent, but he comes up short everywhere else on the football field. We know that he can't cover. We know that he's slow as molasses, but in this defense, things are going to be different that would only serve to accentuate those weaknesses in his game. 
Previously, the linebackers played inside, and the edges, the defensive ends, and that wide nine technique were the ones responsible for funneling things back inside and or chasing the running backs to the edge on the outside zone plays. A very tough task for any defensive end. But in the new scheme, the linebackers will be more gap responsible to specific gaps on the inside or on the outside based upon where they play. Jerome Baker, for instance, off the weak side. He'll be the one that teams have to outflank if they want to test the edge in the run game, and that's going to be tough because Baker can flat-out fly. Raquan McMillan will play between the tackles exclusively, and there is tons of good tape of him doing just that in the previous scheme. Now, this scheme is designed to let those linebackers stay clean inside and free them up to get to the edge as outside backers. So back to this list, and those two guys, McMillan and Baker, are both on the list, and they are both in Category A, as this new scheme is really going to make both of those guys shine, in my opinion. They have Alonzo up there, which we talked about already. Laramie Tunzel is obvious. Jawan James is a tricky one because... I have been pretty strongly on the side of bringing him back, but I can understand the point or the idea or the thought process behind not bringing Jawan James back because you do have Laramie Tunzel due for a new contract in two years. And do you want to pay your tackles 60 million, 50 million bucks, whatever it could be? That wouldn't be great roster budgeting. So it's worrisome in that aspect. And the, and the fact that he has missed time pretty much every other year of his career. And I'm going to get into the final reason why it might not be a good idea in the next segment on the podcast. But you move down this list. Minka Fitzpatrick, pretty obvious. Xavier Howard, I think that one's obvious. But for other reasons, as far as the trade rumors go and the perspective of him being moved on because of the idea that the Dolphins don't want to pay the big contract to, that's out there. But I do think they want to keep him here long term. So that's good to have him on the list. Bobby McCain is on the list. We think I think we know that from a leadership standpoint. Last year was not his best year, but we know he's a very good slot corner if you just keep him there. Durham Smythe and Mike Gesicki both on this list. Look, I think the Patriots loved Gesicki last year. They wanted to draft him, or so they say. And Durham Smythe is going to be a great fit in this offensive scheme, in my opinion, as basically an inline extra blocker on the inside. Then you have Kenyon Drake and Kalen Balaj. Those are obvious to me. And then Albert Wilson and Jakeem Grant. All of those ones also obvious. But the one guy that makes no sense on that list is Kiko Alonso. It's madness. It's insanity. At 7.9 million bucks... Let's talk about linebackers that are in that cash range as far as salary cap goes. Luke Keekley, ten and a half million next year. Bobby Wagner, eleven and a half million. Both of those guys are all pro linebackers and fantastic players. Telvin Smith, another Pro Bowl player from the Jaguars, $9.75 million. I mean, these are the contracts of the best linebackers in the NFL. Kiko Alonso is the third best linebacker on the Dolphins roster and is going to be the third best scheme fit, probably the fourth best scheme fit behind Chase Allen, who has a very defined role in this defense in 2019. So bringing Kiko Alonso back, even at a reduced rate, is an awful, awful, horrible idea. You can cut him and it'll cost you $2 million in dead cap. Get out of that contract. It was a Mike Tannenbaum specialty. You can move on. The opportunity is there. Please don't put us in the situation where I have to lose faith in the front office before this offseason even begins. And if they do bring Kiko Alonso back at 7.9 million bucks, that's exactly what will happen for me. Okay, we are going to move on into segment number two here in just a second as I tell you guys about these three football strategies the Dolphins can borrow from the Patriots and try to dethrone the AFC East champions of the last 20 years. We'll get to that next here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Linkfield NFL at Locked On Fins. Many times I love, many times 
Chris Spooner, if you listen to the podcast here, my man, I love you to death. But that Led Zeppelin take on Twitter on Sunday, you cannot have that, man. One good song on their entire track, that's lunacy, buddy. Led Zeppelin's one of the greatest rock bands of all time. He is at Spoonful of Sports, a good friend of mine on Twitter. If you guys can go check him out and give him a follow, I'd appreciate it. But you're not going to like his music takes. You'll like his football takes, though. And in honor of Chris, we're playing Led Zeppelin on the podcast today. Let's go ahead and spin forward here into our second segment of the podcast and talk about this article up on LockedOnDolphins.com written by yours truly. It is titled, Football Operation Strategies the Dolphins Can Borrow from New England. And that might sound a little bit wordy as you guys wonder what I was going for with this. But the idea is that the Patriots have these certain aspects of their organization, some fundamental principles that they abide by that makes them who they are. And sure, Bill Belichick on the sidelines on game day, having Tom Brady under center for the 16 games and then the three playoff games every year is a big advantage. I understand that. But Bill Belichick and the way he crafts this organization within the rules, not always within the rules, but a lot of the times within the rules to manipulate things into their favor is so nuanced and so revolutionary that it's it's impressive, but it's also not unduplicatable. Is that a word? I don't know. But the Dolphins can duplicate this and they have the guys to do it because like I've talked about, Brian Flores brings three staffers from the Patriots and Josh Boyer, Chad O'Shea, and Jerry Shaplinski to the Miami Dolphins apart from the New England Patriots as part of that staff last year. And none of the previous six disciples under Belichick that went on to NFL head coaching jobs immediately after leaving New England have even brought one coach with them. So everybody in this organization can have that Patriot way mindset as these four guys try to make that a regular thing in Miami. So with that, my thought process is these three ideas the Dolphins can use to incorporate to make their football team better and really build the program around some of these same principles that made the Patriots who they are. And number one is the most obvious given one. And we talked about it all last offseason on the podcast with Matt Burke and how drafting Minka Fitzpatrick and another safety on the team would improve this team, despite the fact that several fans didn't understand the need for a safety beyond Rashad Jones and TJ McDonald. Well, it only has gotten worse for the Dolphins as far as needing defensive backs because as the Patriots go on defense, nobody runs man coverage more 54% of the time last year and nobody uses sub packages as far as dime and quarter defensive backs on the field more than the New England Patriots. The Patriots ran 1,014 defensive snaps in 2018. 335 of those had six defensive backs on the field. That's 33% of the time, one out of three times. You've got six DBs on the field. That means you have five players that are linebackers or defensive ends combined on the field for that time. And then 8.8% of those snaps had seven defensive backs, which means you only have four linemen and linebackers. So when you think about the needs for this football team, a lot of it is defensive backs because Xavier Howard, he's an elite lockdown cornerback. Bobby McCain, he's an above-average slot cornerback. Minka Fitzpatrick operates as that hybrid, do-it-all type of player, kind of like Devin McCourty. And then Rashad Jones is a box safety strictly with limited range and not very good coverage skills. And that's about it, because beyond that, TJ McDonald, a lack of foot speed, not going to work in this scheme. Jalen Davis, a good-looking undrafted rookie, but just flashes for a guy that has only played a couple of games in his career. Cornell Armstrong, mostly spent on special teams last year. Cordray Tankersley, an awful sophomore campaign that finishes with an ACL injury to end his season. And Torrey McTire was also not great in his performance in 2018. So the Patriots... 
They had seven defensive backs that played 30% or more of the defense's total snaps, and six of those guys eclipsed 49%. So half of the snaps on defense are played by six defensive backs on the roster. Stephon Gilmore, Jonathan Jones, J.C. Jackson, Eric Rowe, Jason McCourty. You guys know these names. Patrick Chung, Deron Harmon, Devin McCourty. The Dolphins are so far behind from a personnel standpoint at that position, they're going to have to have an overhaul, be it in the draft, be it elevating these younger guys up the roster to get more performance out of them, like Jalen Davis, like Cornell Armstrong. They just have to use or find a way to get more guys that can help them use more dime and quarter packages because that's what Brian Flores wants to do. That's what the new age of the NFL does. So dime and quarter defenses is something Brian Flores can bring from Foxborough down to Miami. Number two from this column up on LockedOnDolphins.com, Locked On Dolphins podcast here, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, is the manipulation of the draft board. And we know every single year, the Patriots find a way to get up or get down the draft board to find the guys they want. Last year in the draft, eight of the Patriots' nine draft picks were made as the result of a trade. In 2017, they had nine draft day trades. In 2016, they had just four. But the idea is that nobody trades up and down the draft board more than the New England Patriots do. And my idea behind this, I equate it to baseball analytics or Sabre metrics or advanced metrics, whatever the hell we're calling it. Because the Patriots with Ernie Adams, Bill Belichick's right-hand man, they use analytics all the time. And every time we hear about the draft, it's always about this crapshoot, right? This proverbial 50-50 shot in the dark at best. I mean, the talking heads talk about it. Twitter scouts talk about it. Even NFL executives talk about the high bust rate in the draft. So if each pick is equally destined to fail just as much as it is to succeed... Why not give yourself more swings of the bat? And the reason I bring it back to baseball is that the sabermetrics say if a player bats second in the batting order compared to third, he's going to get 30 more plate appearances in the season. So when you have Mike Trout, you don't want to bat him third, even though he's the best player in the league. You bat him higher in the order to get him more plate appearances. And I would argue to bat him leadoff, but the Angels bat him first. So that's the Patriots approach there. Get more picks. Draft guys that fit your scheme and your needs and then have them compete and the best guy will shine through and you'll have competent players on your roster that fits your scheme. And then last on this list here on the football operation strategies that the Dolphins can borrow from New England up on LockedOnDolphins.com is the focusing on the compensatory pick process because we learned on Friday... Uh, in addition to the Robert Kraft story about how big of a scumbag that guy is, that the Patriots were also awarded three compensatory draft picks for their free agency exploits last offseason going into 2019 for the draft. Two of those third-round picks for them. So big-time success for the Patriots. And the Dolphins don't ever really have that happen. And a big reason why is the previous splurges in free agency like the Mike Wallaces, like the Brandon Albert, like the Indomitian Sioux, which to me are a thing of the past now under Chris Greer, who himself said he'd rather have three maybe good players than one big time guy that can maybe be a primetime player for you via free agency, the draft, whatever it is. And that's kind of what all this goes back to is that Chris Greer probably didn't agree with the way Mike Tannenbaum did things. And I think that's probably why he wanted to bring Brian Flores to Miami to institute some of these principles that he adheres to. So the Patriots, they find a way to gain the system by not signing their own homegrown talent like a Trey Flowers, for instance, to the big $15 million per year because that will cost them a draft pick and they know they can find a way to replace him by their draft strategy. It doesn't always work out, 
But for the most part, it does work out. And number two, when they do want to sign free agents, they tend to go towards guys that have already been cut from previous rosters because that does not impact your comp pick formula as far as what you get in draft picks coming back your way. Now, they will go away from this formula if they see a necessary need to do so. For instance, Darrell Rivas signed him to a big free agent contract. Stephon Gilmore got signed to a massive contract, very unpatriot-like. But what did both those guys do? They brought back Super Bowl championships largely due to the fact that they had shut down corners to make this scheme work. So the Patriots find ways around the league, these loopholes all the way, and these three things are something the Dolphins can do very easily. All they have to do is just commit to it. Focus on the comp pick process, manipulate the draft board by going up and down, and play more dime and quarter defense, as is Brian Flores' specialty. So those three things can help this team get into a program that is more consistent and can turn things over and be year-in and year-out competitors rather than having one or two pop-up years over the course of two decades. Okay, let's go ahead and spin things forward here to a new segment I want to do on the podcast. We'll do these things in the third segment usually, but with the guest on today's show, we'll go ahead and bump it to the second segment. It is going to be the prospect of the day as we approach April's draft. We are just two months away from the draft, guys. Things are going to start heading towards that direction here on the podcast as well as on the website at LockedOnDolphins.com. And in the spirit of the defensive back talk I've had going on on the podcast for the last couple of days, but more importantly on today's show, today's prospect of the day is Florida's Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. This guy is a do-everything safety. He might be a first-round prospect in this draft. I think he's going to test very well in Indianapolis, and if you guys want to find some videos, I tweeted out some images, some video clips from Evan Lazar. If you guys recall, he did the podcast back in January when the Dolphins announced Brian Flores would be their hire. He is at EZ Lazar on Twitter. He has some great footage clips of Gardner Johnson showing what he can do best. He has so much range as a middle of the field, center field safety, something Miami desperately needs. He's smart and instinctive and can read the quarterback's eyes in many ways. He's a versatile chess piece in the idea that he can drop down and cover the slot corner. He can play that deep safety position. He has electric speed and closing speed to get to the football. He's instinctive. I just think this guy is exactly what Miami will want at the position. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, a safety from Florida, has got to be in the crosshairs at pick 48 or maybe in the first round if the Dolphins do decide to trade down. And speaking of trade downs, we're going to have Brian Peacock here of the Lockdown 49ers podcast coming up next to discuss the idea of a potential trade up the draft board. We'll get to that next here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Lockdown Fins. We have covered quite a bit of ground on the podcast here today, and one thing I want to start doing this offseason is getting more hosts from the Locked On Network on the show to discuss their squads and how they could possibly impact Miami in the upcoming season. So with that, let's bring on our guest today, Brian Peacock. And joining the podcast now is the host of the Locked On 49ers podcast. You can find him on Twitter. He is at BD Peacock. He is Brian Peacock. And Brian, I promise this isn't the only reason that I brought you on here. 
but I did have to make a mention of it because after Super Bowl 19, the Niners kind of took ownership of the Dolphins in a way, and that domination continued here on the Locked On Network for some time. But in the last couple of weeks, we have avenged that Super Bowl loss as Dolphins and have leapfrogged the Locked On 49ers podcast in downloads, at least for the time being. So a big thank you to my fan base for that. But Brian, I imagine you're not going to take that lying down. No, I I got to believe that some accounting th- problems happened with the, the holiday and stuff. And so uh, I don't know. I want to recount there. I know the Lockdown 49ers are going to be back on top next week. No, but but seriously, you guys, uh, you're doing a great show over there. And I love being part of this network. So many great hosts. And if somebody's doing good and someone's doing better than me, that's good for everybody. So I love it. So keep doing what you're doing. And uh, and hopefully someday I can surpass you again. I'm sure you will, man. We get some dead months here. And, and Dolphins fans tend to kind of lose interest as things go about the season. I think the off season is where we actually thrive. I'm sure it's probably the same case for you, but <laughs> hey, if we're going to be on excuse making, I'm going to have to say we can replay Super Bowl 19 outside of Pasadena. So it's not so much of a home game for you guys. Yeah. Or was it a stand? I think it was at Stanford stadium, wasn't it? That one might've been the one at St- I know there was one at Stanford and I'm drawing a blank on which one that is now, but that might've been one. And that was a quasi home game. That was rough because there's never been a home game in the Super Bowl. That's probably as close as it's, as it's ever been. Yeah, for sure. And the Dolphins could do that this year, but let's be realistic. They are the lowest team on the odds makers to go to the Super Bowl. So we kind of know where we stand, but that brings us into the idea of why you and I are kind of doing this podcast to take some draft day scenarios and kind of unpack them. Because to me, Brian, the the 49ers number two pick in this year's draft is a prime spot for some trade business to go down. So with that, I have a proposal for you that my fans are probably sick of hearing me talk about because it's all based around Kyler Murray. I'm sure you know that. But here's the deal. The Dolphins give you pick 13 in the first round, pick 48 in the second round, and next year's one, which could be pretty high if the Dolphins kind of suck and bottom out for the second pick in the draft. Are you taking that? Okay, uh, break that down for me one more time. Number 13 this year. Yeah, 13 and 48 this year are first and second. And then okay. next year's number one, which could be a top 10 pick. That's a fair offer. And I think that's what the 49ers will be asking for if teams come calling. Say, uh, you know, there's they have a really good relationship with the Denver Broncos who are picking number 10. I don't know if the Joe Flacco thing takes them out of the quarterback market. I feel like it would not. And we've seen that before where teams pick up a veteran quarterback and still go in uh, and draft a guy like the Browns did last year, number one overall. So um, I think that's what it would cost. It would cost a future first and another very high pick, like a second round pick if you're going from 13 to number two. And I know if you're looking at past trades, like let's say the Carson Wentz trade, when the Eagles went up to take Carson Wentz and, and made that trade with the Browns, it was what you just offered and even more. I think there was another a third and fourth round pick and then another pick going the other way. So it was a little convoluted, but there was a lot happening there and, and they weren't even going up as far as from 13. So it's very expensive. So I think what you offered is fair. And I think that would be the minimum. And if I'm the 49ers and I'm sitting there at pick two, and a lot of this for me boils down to who's taken number one. Sure. So if, and I love the move for the dolphins, by the way, because you know, you can't sit back you might not be able to sit back and get Haskins or Murray. And I don't know if you have any feelings on which quarterback you like for the dolphins or which way you think the dolphins would go, but you might be able to rather than sit back and get neither and have no choice, have your choice of guys at number two. So I think that's really important for a team that's sitting where the, the dolphins are right now. So if you're the 49ers and I'm putting my John Lynch hat on right now and number one overall is the Arizona Cardinals. And if they take Nick Bosa, who is the ideal fit for the 49ers for need meeting value at the number two overall pick, 
Uh, to me, the second best player in the draft would be Quinn and Williams. And the 49ers, as you know, the last few years have been drafting a bunch of big body, yeah. sort of big ends slash defensive tackles. And so that that's a tough sell, even though he would be the best player on my board. I personally don't have Josh Allen nearly as high as Quinn and Williams. So if Bosa's off the board, I'm taking the best offer. And if 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 the Dolphins would be the only team offering me that future first and a second round pick, I'm fine with that. And I would totally take that deal, even though I think that the 49ers would be asking for a little bit more to go down that far. Uh, that being said, there's the Jaguars, there's the the Broncos, there's the Giants. There might be some other calls there. And if they're willing to do the same, obviously the 49ers wouldn't have to drop down as far and they could even make some more trades and, and really make a lot of things happen and, and really make that pick work for them. And so that's the way I would be looking at this if I'm the 49ers. So I would take that deal if it's the only offer, but I got a feeling that there might be another team offering something very similar. And I think the Dolphins could potentially have to offer a little bit more. But as of now, I've got you on the line. You're making that offer. Nick Bosa goes number one. I'm okay with that. So it all revolves around Nick Bosa's availability, and that makes a lot of sense. And that's kind of what dictates the price of these trade-ups because you mentioned, you know, the Dolphins went up back in 2013, that awful 2013 draft class. They went from 12 to 3, and it only cost them their second-round pick, which is, that's not even close to feasible this time around with quarterbacks being in play, and that was to get Deion Jordan. So it didn't work out for anybody involved, but it kind of gives you an idea of what the price tag is and how that fluctuates based on the board. Now, what I will ask you, Brian, is since... You know, you mentioned that is a little bit light, and I think it is too. I think that's probably not quite enough to make the Niners bite on that offer. And so what I would ask you is how much would a swap out of that future one for a guy like Xavier Howard, who for all intents and purposes is one of the five best cover corners in football, would that be something that would interest you? I think so. I think Xavier Howard would be a fantastic fit for the 49ers. And uh, I don't know how the 49ers would value Xavier Howard if that would be, you know, a perfect swap out for a future first, if it would be more than future first round value or less, I'm not sure there. Um, and you might have some thoughts on that, but I think Xavier Howard would be a great fit for what the 49ers are doing. Um, I, it's, it's weird because when these draft trades happen, it seems to never work out with a player. Cause I've had a lot of people write into the show and ask about, you know, okay, trade down with the giants and you end up with Odell Beckham and, or, you know, with the, with the Jaguars and there was a rumor that Jalen Ramsey could be trading. It's like those trades just for some reason never end up happening. And, and I don't know why that is, but um, when it comes to Xavier Howard, I think he's a great fit. And that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is if he actually would be available. Cause it seems to me when you have a great player, you want more, not, to start getting rid of those. Yeah, and I think they're going to work a contract around making him kind of the focal point of the defense because you had Stephon Gilmore, who, for my money, really won that Super Bowl for the Patriots with how he played. And Brian Flores was, was able to call that defense based upon the fact that he had Gilmore shutting down one side of the field pretty much every snap. So I think they'll try to find a way to work that deal out. But if Kyler Murray is out there and you have a chance to go get him, that's a sacrifice that I'm personally willing to make to go get a guy that, for my money, is going to change your organization for 10 years or more. So I would go in that direction. And it's funny you mentioned the player trades because the Dolphins went down from 8 to 13 back in 2016. That was the Wentz year, yeah, because the Eagles slowly climbed up the board to go get Carson Wentz. And we got Byron Maxwell and Kiko Alonso out of that deal. So not a great trade for the Dolphins. 
But one of the caveats I had for the Niners in thinking the 13th pick would be a good spot to go back to is that you might be able to parlay that pick and go out and get Antonio Brown. Now, I had a segment on my Friday podcast talking about how the diva is dead in the NFL and these guys are not worth the problems they cause or the contracts they command. Do you think that the Niners are going to be in on Antonio Brown and would you do pick 13 in this scenario for Antonio Brown? It's... It's complicated with Antonio Brown because he's done so much to hurt his own value. Right. So it's 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 become to the point where I don't think the 49ers would even have to give up a first rounder. And I don't think anybody is offering a first rounder, which if you asked this question a year ago, my mind would be blown sure. if you said, hey, the 49ers <laughs> or any team could trade for less than a fourth rounder or less than a first rounder and get Antonio Brown because he's a Hall of Fame talent. Uh, that said, right now, his value is at an all time low and everybody knows that the Steelers have to trade him. And so, and, and, and their GM, Kevin Colbert, didn't do himself any favors saying that three teams have called about him. <laughs> it's like, we should be saying 30 teams called about him, right? So like, I can't believe that even, so zero leverage for the Steelers. I don't think it would even take that pick. In fact, I think the pick that the 49ers would be getting from the Dolphins that they could trade for him would be that second round pick. And right. I think that's all it would take right now to get Antonio Brown. And if it gets to the point where Antonio Brown's value drops so much that it would take less than a first round pick or say maybe, you know, a player now and then a conditional pick later that could become something that way, you know, you, you, um, you get a little bit of a, a hedge there on that trade in, in case something does fall and the bottom falls out with Antonio Brown for you, maybe conditional future pick is what it would take. So if it, if it gets that inexpensive, then you almost have to make that deal for the 49ers. Yeah, why not go all in? Because like you mentioned, they they do need that playmaker, the guy that can kind of be Jimmy Garoppolo's go-to guy. And let's go ahead and spin things forward here and talk about where the Niners and their fan base are at right now. Because last year going into the season, I think the Niners were probably one of the top two or three teams as far as you know, expectations taking that next step to the next level because of Jimmy G. And we lost our quarterback in 2017, and it was a miserable season for the Dolphins. I can't imagine how bad last year sucked for you guys as fans. So what was 2018 like as a Niners fan, and where's the fan base at now going into 2019? I think the 49ers fan base right now is sort of tiptoeing into 2019 because everyone just got the hype kind of got out of control and it swept everybody up and people were talking about, well, it's, I can't, I'm not sure if the 49ers are going to go nine and seven or like 11 and five. And then <laughs> Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt and it really, you put on sort of those goggles that it's sort of like 49ers fans were getting drunk all night during the off season before the 2018 <laughs> season. And they had the beer goggles going on, you know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah. wake up in the morning and you were like, oh, what was I thinking? And that was sort of the post Jimmy Garoppolo ACL was, oh, what was I thinking? You look at the roster and you're like, this roster is not ready to compete quite yet. They were two years, they were just in the second year from a complete rebuild. They gutted the Trent Baalke era roster. And, and so they basically started completely over. So you kind of saw all the warts at that point in 2018. You realize they still had some work to do. So I think the 49ers might be a little bit more little bit more aggressive in free agency, maybe on the trade market. And they've got that number two overall pick to work with that they can leverage into either a really good player there or other picks. And they only have five picks coming in and they get an extra comp pick in the sixth round. So they have six draft picks to work with. So they're down there. So if they wanted to make a trade for a big time player, I think post draft would be the time to do it. If they were able to move down and gain more picks, that would help them out and do that. But I think 49ers fans are the hype train is going to come around again, but everyone's going to be a little bit you know, a little bit more wary, maybe a little bit more realistic going into 2019. But this regime has to start winning. And uh, it's year three now. Add some talent. 
the W's need to come for the 49ers in 2019. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It tends to be, to, to me at least, those teams that have the high expectations after not really accomplishing much, it tends to be year number two after the expectations when things start to really kind of take off, in my opinion. So maybe this will be the year for you guys to get back in, com- in uh, contention for the NFC West. And me and Brian are going to flip things over here to the 49ers podcast, the Locked On 49ers show, and do some more original content. So after you guys finish this show, Head over to Locked On 49ers and check out my segment with Brian Peacock on Locked On 49ers. Brian, this was a blast, man. You guys can find him on Twitter. He's at BD Peacock, Locked On 49ers podcast. Thanks again for doing this, man. Always a pleasure, Travis. Thank you so much. And off he goes. And as we go along this offseason, I want to have some more Locked On network hosts from the other teams come on the podcast and give us a better feel for the entire league as we go into the offseason and the dead periods here to give you guys the best comprehensive content, not just on the Miami Dolphins, but also on the National Football League and all things football. And with that, that's a great spot to go ahead and end today's show. I got to remind you guys, if you're in your car, you can pull up the podcast on your Bluetooth by saying play Locked On Dolphins podcast and load that thing up right quick. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on our Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.